0: You know, I, I mean, having spoken to a lot of doctors and, and nurses stuff, I would love just to find a way of just reducing the IT challenges that everyone seems to just drain everyone's time. I've spoken to doctors who spend over an hour logging in to IT systems, and that is insane. Um, or computers that don't work or know all that and I know that's way bigger than that's way bigger challenge than any one startup can solve or whatever but if if I think you could save many well a lot of money a lot of time and you can massively impact patient health and outcomes with better IT
1: I'm so glad you said that. And I'll, I'll say why. I don't know if you know James Somaru as well. He's He's got the health tech podcast. He's a fantastic guy. And mm-hmm. I asked him the same question uh, towards the end of, of the podcast with him. We haven't published that one just yet at the time <laughs> of recording, but he's, he's like, let's do something to make the lives of our health workforce better. Uh, obviously, we didn't talk about this as a potential way, but I hear you completely. So I'm, I'm you know, I've been working as a doctor. And I'll tell you straight out, it's becoming more and more common now, especially uh, to work in multiple sites, multiple organizations, be employed by multiple people. Um, one is the clinical land. You might be working in academia. You might be working for uh, you know an organization outside of healthcare. This is the future of health. We we like to mix and match because. The world of health is multiple players, as we just said, and we, especially in public health, we like to, to be in these different organizations. Now, here's the challenge: mandatory training, corporate training, from onboarding through to the annual, you know, uh, uh, learning that you have to do, whether it's first aid through to anything else. It is such a pain. First of all, they're the oldest systems known to humankind. I mean, I don't know who designed these. Uh, e-learning systems. They are terrible. Secondly, yet yeah, logging in is <laughs> painful. And then when you're working in different organizations, they force you to do each one for different organizations. So that could be so much pain. I, honestly, I, I give up on them. First of all, I don't learn anything on these systems. Um, and secondly, they're just such a pain. And then there comes the regular IT day-to-day engagement. Uh, Absolutely, you know, there's studies out there, Phil, that in the world of health and medicine specifically, uh, we've created electronic health records on purpose to make life better, to improve quality, to improve safety of the delivery of healthcare. But if anything, it's caused more and more problems. There's evidence now to show that it contributes to burnout of of healthcare professionals. You've got doctors staring at their screens, looking away from the patient. And most of the therapy, most of the benefit is in that human touch. So that's gone out the window. And then there's that Concept of death by 16 clicks before you find anything that you're looking for. So, all of that combined, I'll shut up now, but I could speak forever on that issue. So, you you hit the nail on the head. Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor, where together with my guests, we help you, the entrepreneur, to create a healthier, happier world through your ventures. And if you're looking to launch the next health startup or business, at any stage you are, but most likely you've gone beyond the ideation phase. You've got a a sense of what you might want to do, but you're stumbling on some obstacles like gaining partners, securing investment, and overcoming issues with adoption. If that's where you're at, do check out the link in the description below where I've created a checklist as well as a training session where you can attend for free and and learn how to overcome some of those obstacles. Do check that out. And we'll be speaking about some of those with my special guest today. Look, the health sector, but indeed the wider science, tech, engineering sector, it needs you now more than ever. From whatever background you're in, you may have come across a problem uh, that you find that there must be a better way of doing it, a tech solution that might help, a new way of working. And what I see, one of the problems that I see is, Um, Many entrepreneurs, indeed startups, they tackle it in a narrow, don't take this the wrong way, but in a narrow minded way. And what I mean by that is that you'll bring on board advisors who will only give you their opinion. It's not necessarily the holistic view of what the entire market, the entire sector actually needs before you narrow in. Uh, So it's really important to get that 360 view. And this is critical if you want to make sure that your product and service is adopted and then it indeed diffuses and, and scales. And I believe it's even more important in the health sector where you've got many different players, all with different priorities, different needs, different demands. Uh, and many decision makers, it's not always one decision maker or one buyer of your product. It gets more and more complicated. But before we go any further, I'd like to introduce my special guest today, Phil Wakefield. He's founder of Oxygen, based in one of my favorite cities in the world, Oxford. And he helps leaders uh, in science, tech and engineering. So SMEs, startups, entrepreneurs who really want to uh, be digital innovators. So, Phil, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So I'd love to learn a bit more about you really. So tell us about you, who you are and what led you to uh, found and launch Oxygen.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, oh, I just wind all the way back. So I started off as an engineer, mechanical engineer, um, back, out of, uh, back at uni and then um, went into engineering, was an industrial, industrial automation engineer and managed to spend a lot of time in sewage work. So that was fun. Um, but then I got a, a fantastic opportunity to work at the London Olympics. So I got to work there for two years. It um, was amazing to see it grow, started off, I was about uh, came in about a thousandth member of the team and then it grew up to over 100,000. So it was an incredible um, thing to be part of, seeing that scale. But um, I got to be part of the, the team um, and I was responsible for one of the sports to deliver the results system software. So. You have to do the design and lead the development team and um, influence some things like the stadium design. I was there doing the construction. I was there on the field of play in front of all the cameras during the uh, during the fencing and the wheelchair fencing competitions. So, yeah, that was um, intense, very, very intense. But uh, it was an yeah, absolutely fantastic experience um, to work in that. And then that got me into that sort of sophomore soft, software side of, uh, of, of, um, of the world. Um, and so ended up working in software, uh, software companies, and digital agencies. So we ended up in the sort of London digital agency uh, world, working with some amazing brands um, and organisations to deliver all sorts of digital products, from from websites, apps, uh, SaaS uh, products, um, and all things like that that sort of thing, um, which was an amazing opportunity, um, amazing experience. Got I learned a lot from that, but I also saw some issues with that sort of digital agency model um, and felt that it wasn't necessarily doing everything it could to help um, founders, people with early stage ideas um, actually sort of thrive, make those good ideas come to life. So um, so I got the opportunity to set up Oxygen uh, in 2019 um, and Structuring that uh, in a way, and drawing on my experience and my um, and, the, and the work I've done before to to sort of really help those that that, that market that, those people in, you know, particularly as you said earlier, science, tech, engineering, try and help them um, take you know make those ideas come to life, make sure none of us sort of get left behind.
1: Nice, um, London Olympics—that's once in a lifetime, isn't it? And that must have been a tremendous experience. You know, I've lived in maybe i think two if not yeah at least two cities that have had olympics and i've missed them every single time like i've been somewhere else in the world when the olympics happened but my god that that must have been an experience and i'm really curious in terms of oxygen specifically or and generally your personal uh vision and mission like what would good look like to you
0: good good to me is whatever makes a positive really positive impact on the world you know it's things that um that help people um, or, or, you know, make an impact that is going to make, yeah, make that positive change. So, and that's got to be in a very holistic view as well. So not just good for individual, but good for the world, you know, for, for the wider ecosystem. Um, I think a lot of times products can be very, very narrowly focused and actually have a net, you uh, negative impact sometimes or or just don't have any kind of positive impact <laughs> at all and so everything something that oxygen does is very much focused on that positive, uh, positive um, change that we want to see
1: yeah you uh, you and i uh, we're on the same path as, as you know with the entrepreneurs and I, and I value that and earlier this morning i was speaking with uh, a colleague who we, we were actually debating that you know are there, are there are these two different worlds when it comes to adding true value and making a real impact versus commercially viable businesses and obviously you've got to narrow down in in some shape or form but for me the way I approach it and this is where we're going to take this conversation it's it's first of all take a step back whatever you want to do it has to be narrow it has to be specific and please correct me if I'm wrong from your take on things but it take a step back and map out the entire pathway the entire stakeholders the entire uh, ecosystem that you're trying to change and then appreciate and acknowledge where you fit in there what is the specific problem and then whatever solution you create are there going to be knock-on effects both positive and negative in various parts of the system it takes time it's, mm. it might be annoying but it'll be worth your while I don't know what your take on that would be first of all no absolutely I think that ability to sort
0: of zoom out and zoom in is is, is vital um, it's that part of that mindset you really need is to be able to sort of Focus in on the details, solve small problems,
1: yeah. zoom out
0: and see what that impact that has on the on the on your wider vision, but also you know in the wider uh, environment you're working in. I think healthcare in particular can be really um, uh, it's such a complex world that your, your small change that you're trying to make can have much wider implications. You've got so many different user groups, so many uh, different um, things that people are trying to achieve. In a very difficult space. Um, and you know, if you purely focus in, for example, on a single patient outcome, that might be great. But if it's impacting doctor's time, nurses' time, administrators' time, is that having a negative effect on the wider healthcare of all the patients? So you need to really understand that sort of yeah, wider vision and what's the net good you're doing, um, as opposed to just being purely focused in.
1: So I want to ask you a bit more about because we're going to come back onto some things that you want to teach our, our audience <laughs> today. But I just want to get a bit more about oxygen specifically. Yeah. So who are those typical people that you want to work with and help them? And what do you want to help them achieve? Um, I mean, is it anyone in the science tech engineering world who is thinking about an innovation? Is that specifically what it is or elaborate? Yeah, we we so we help people sort of in a few places along the journey because I think
0: um it's it's not always right at the beginning that you realize where you where you need help or you can't even get you know you can um you can you can get through a certain distance sometimes but actually the earlier we we find the earlier we work with people the better the outcomes um so we primarily start off with ideally working with people right when they've got that concept that early early idea um and then we can help them sort of Validate that idea before really having to commit, you know, hugely into it, um, and then we can sort of help them continue through that journey. And, and the idea being is we're trying to help them have that a smoothest journey through innovation as possible. You know, it, it can be seen as a risky, difficult thing, but with the right advice and undertaken in the right way, it doesn't have to be as uh, difficult as as people fear. Um, so. Trying to, yeah, trying to have that nice nice, smooth journey using resources really efficiently. Um, and so, yeah, we take them through that so from that idea all the way through to things like research. making sure the user research is done correctly. How, what sort of technical and uh, business analysis type research might need doing. And then we can take that into design and making sure that the designs are, are really well thought through and tested. And that, that's key and I'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, and then, yeah, we can take them through to, to development. So there's that continuous um experience all the way through um, to the point to you launch really Um, but we work with people in I guess lots of different ways as well so sometimes it's very much that hands-on doing all those things doing the research doing the design doing the development sometimes it's more light touch as well you know some people have the resources the capability or in-house or something like that but just need someone to work with to um, to smooth as as I said you know Another pair of eyes, someone else to bounce ideas off, to challenge, um, and so sometimes more of a mentoring relationship can work as well. Um, so we work with people on sort of both ends of that that spectrum.
1: Got it, got it. And um, I'm sure you, within the health space, you you must have done a lot of work because you work with with the Hill and, and and others. So do you have? Can you walk me through like how you would approach a a health uh, startup? Like how would you specifically help uh, take an entrepreneur who's come across an idea? and they want to materialize it?
0: Mm. So um, I think if we're talking at yeah, that really early stage, um, first of all, we would spend some time mapping out things like getting that, getting that vision really clearly set out because um, I find the, 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 those founders and, and who have more, of, um, more loose idea about what their vision is, what change they're trying to ultimately make, They tend to be less focused, so actually we want focus and that's that's the way to get through really effectively through that sort of innovation process. So the more more we can have clarity of vision, the better we better start we make. So we start off with that um, and then we look at um, the environment. It's going to be you're working in. So who are the people who are directly impacted by what you're trying to do? Who are those people? Who are the people around them? Understanding the experiences they have in in um, in that environment that you're trying to change, um, and what your changes, what other changes are going to happen by, by you implementing your innovation and, and so on. And we can map that out and we sort of have sort of thing, use things like uh, user journey maps and, and things like that just to, to help document and, and um, structure that thinking. Um, and then one thing I found really helpful recently is then actually doing some really early stage user research. Um, I think, and I'm going to touch again on this uh, a little bit, but um, I've I find when people have ideas uh, at the beginning, you know, early stage ideas, they've usually hit upon something, but it's probably not actually quite what they think. Um, the solution they have in mind, their problem is probably right or very close to being right, but actually the solution is probably not quite right. And the trouble we have is that you are often surrounded by people a bit like us, who and who like who like us, uh, and therefore they tell us they nod and go, yes, that's a good idea, (laughs) and then we get really excited about it and we go off and try and build it. But actually, we just need to take a step back at that point and do a bit of validation. And we've done it recently with a few um, startups where it turns out the, the 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 opportunity isn't quite what they thought it was, and actually, by pivoting it a little bit. They had a much stronger business case. They have a, um, a better solution. It's possibly easy. It can even be easier to implement and, and things like that. And you can really sort of unlock unlock it at that stage. Um, and with very little sort of cost, effectively, of time or money or whatever uh, at that stage. So you sort of saved yourself of potentially building a bit of a white elephant or, or something like that. You know, it's, it's just you've sort of uh, steered yourself in the right direction really nice and early on. Um yeah, and that's, so that's kind of about how we kick things off and then and then we once we've got to that point we've got a high level concept, we can start delving more into the research, delving and yeah progressing things like designs and uh, and so on
1: If you take. First of all, I I love working with these entrepreneurs that come from all sorts of backgrounds and there's many I can't say I've got one favorite group, but engineering background is perhaps one of my favorite group of people. And the reason I say that is in the world of environmental health, I've trained and worked with so many engineers, mechanical and and others that add so much value. And it's the way you think as well. Uh, The way you think is is key. And, And I'll elaborate what I mean by that. So at the validation phase, let's say in a health startup, I'm sure you, you think of this already because of, you know, who we're talking right to right now, but many of us don't necessarily think about this. We'll come into there, for many, and many entrepreneurs I talk to come in with the solution and even when they go to the validation, all they're doing is like pitching essentially as if it's like to a bunch of investors or, you know, that's not the purpose of validation. Go in there to really understand the needs of your group of whoever you wanna add value to, understand their needs, understand their priorities. Do a soft pitch if there's something in your mind. And as you said, it can spin off and you might come up with new ideas that are even better than the one you had before. However, the thing that I'd add to that is even when it comes to the problem that you want to solve and you validated, let's say whatever it is, it's a solution, it adds value and they say, yes, that would be fantastic. We need that. Have the engineering mindset of, okay, what are the what's the foundation you need beforehand to lay the ground so that you can then create that solution. If that doesn't exist, good luck, right? That could be years down the line. So get, back down to the basics and think what are the inflows what's the inputs to allow you to create that and perhaps you need to start there so anyway enough about me and I'll, i want to be a student right now and learn from you what's well, your top two tips
0: uh, well actually i, I was just going to say that about that engineering mindset <clears throat> i think it's a blessing and a curse um, to be honest
1: because i think when
0: you're talking about this innovation world it's um it can be it's very structured as well and so sometimes uh when you're talking about uh innovation it's it can actually hold you back but at the same time it, it gives you other um benefits so if you can find a way of yeah blending that in engineering mindset with more of a entrepreneurial mindset i think you can really um that's where that's where there's a really nice sweet spot actually i think in that love
1: yeah.
0: it yeah yeah so um Oh well, yeah, a couple of things to talk about. So, I've, shall we? should we crack into crack into that? It's
1: all yours. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So, um, a couple of pieces of advice for uh, health entrepreneurs. So, um, first one, I think, is around diversity. And when I'm talking about diversity, I don't mean necessarily the uh, not necessarily anyway. But the, the, the typical um, categories of diversity that you know we always we often hear talked about. This is about diversity of perspective, like having as a as a founder um, or, or entrepreneur or someone with an idea, you are um, a sing singular, you know, indiv- you're a singular individual singular, small group of people with a very narrow perspective. Um, and with that comes bias and assumption, and you know, we don't we're not being challenged, we are um, we kind of assume we understand. Um, and that's really dangerous. We um, it it means that we're not exploring it enough. Um, and when we, what we tend to see when people come to that is they come up, with, they assume they know what the solution is going to be. Assume they understand what the problem is in, in depth. But really, when you've just got that singular perspective, you are building a solution for you and only you. Um, and that's not, that's not the basis of a business. Um, you're not going to be changing the world. You're not going to be making it really any impact, but um, with that uh, singular point of view. So what we need to bring in is, is, is more diverse perspectives. Um, so, you know, if we just take the healthcare, you know, you can really see the sort of, the sy- I'm going to use a uh, healthcare analogy, you know, there's the, the, the symptoms of this as, you know, how um strange nurses feel from the innovation process you know tech is done to them it's like a phrase i've heard quite a bit you know um it's not it's not something where they're part of the solution they are given it and they've probably never been consulted in it and it has a negative impact on their lives and their work and, the, and ultimately that means it's impacting patients um Similarly, you know, patient experience or, or that overall ex- impact that we just we were talking about earlier. Now, how just because it's in, it, it helping one patient, is that really have you got the perspective that means that you understand how it's impacting health the healthcare overall? Um, so, so if that you know, if it's assuming we agree that diversity is something that is important, we obviously need to do something about that. So, first, first bit of advice, I think, is, is break out of your circle. Try not to involve people like you in your innovation process. Bring in more voices. Um, and that can be done in a number of ways. You know. First of all, you know, start running those ideas, but not just pass around your inner circle, your friends, your family, but actually break out of that. Find ways of reaching further field and uh, other people in your, your space or you know, people who have, have completely different opinions and find out what their views are. And find ways of being challenged. Um yeah try and find those people who don't want who don't like you because <laughs> they're not, not going or don't know you yet because then they don't, that's easy then they don't just they don't just you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, try not to be likable that's the answer try not to be likeable no. uh but you don't want those people just going n- nodding and smiling i think uh, and I've got a bit of an example of that in uh I'll talk about it in a second sure. um yeah, so finding people who will ch- happily challenge you back um is is really important. So that could be, you know, in, in those, but also as you progress, you know, you need to be bringing more voices. So keep the user research going, no matter where you are in your sort of development process of innovation, you could have launched already, but still you've got to keep listening and keep talking to people because you'll learn something all the time. Um, and it's uh, it's a continuous process that you um, that you go through, I think. Um, and yeah, and then... And then explore who are those um, other user groups that you are going to be impacting, who else is working in that those environments, and make sure you're talking to them, bring them into the process. Um, you could even make sure you have sort of advisors on your team that represent the end user, you know, have focus groups or, or, or reach out and, and interview um, people in those uh, in those user groups. Um, and therefore, you get a much better picture of the wider environment and how how they can be impacted and, um, and have things that might challenge your perspective. Um, and just yeah constantly look, make sure you're not just talking to people like you and i think that's just such a trap that people fall into and, and it's very easy to fall into um so keep keep challenging yourself on that so you know just to bring that to life a little bit i was working with um uh, some some founders the other day um, they had a had a great idea um it's still an ongoing project so i can't <laughs> i'm going to be able to tell you who they are at this stage but they really early stage. They, they haven't even you know, they're not formed a company yet. They've just got a great idea and they wanted, they wanted to see uh, what to do about it. And they were, um, luckily they had enough of a, um, they were sort of, sort of humble enough to sort of accept that they may not know it at all, luckily. Because I think if they pressed ahead with their, their original idea, they would have built something very expensive that would have gone nowhere. Because when we did that validation that I spoke about earlier, they um we we undertook a no, number of user interviews and what we're finding was although uh you know their friends was nodding going oh yes that'd be a good idea that would really help me when it came to it there everyone was a bit lukewarm about the idea I and mean, and that's hardly the basis of a business lots of people going oh yeah that'd be nice um i don't think they're going to be putting their hands in their pockets for you know for uh, you know, hundreds of pounds to a, a, a year to, uh, for a, a SaaS product um, because they've got, I think it'd be all right. But because we've broken out of their original kind of core circle in that interviewing process, um, we actually found a new pattern that would meet their vision. And they had all these people coming to us swearing and effing and blinding about, about this challenge they had that no one has picked up on. Um, Or they kind of, it's just sort of an accepted industry thing that is just a problem that they all go, yeah, it's just, yeah, no one's tried to solve it, but it's just, yeah, because it's just an accepted part of their life. So by being an, having an external perspective ourselves, by bringing in new voices, we we found this brilliant new um, opportunity. That they're now we've now got a high level concept for, and they're taking through. You know, they're getting funding for. They're getting they're in accelerators, and um, they're they're progressing this fantastic new you know, new opportunity. Um, and yeah, all because they're happy to so try and get that those new voices into their into their um, uh, perspective.
1: Can I just ask you a question on that? Just before you go to mm. the to the next point, that, So that's interesting because, I mean. You know the, the group who we're speaking to right now, our audience, are entrepreneurs who are very experienced in in the world of business, but still, irrespective of that, you've got two camps, haven't you? One group that wants to keep all their ideas to themselves and not talk that at the fear the fear that their idea is going to be stolen especially in a highly competitive world and then you've got the other group which is i think where you and i are at which is actually no you need to be talking to people to get all these ideas validated so have you got anything to come back on that in terms of reassuring i mean i don't know I'll, i'll just say my point briefly but i'd love to hear from you i mean for me unless it's a patentable innovation an engineering solution that you really can't talk about what's under the hood then the rest of it just get out there and talk because otherwise you're destined to fail but it's over to yeah. you
0: yeah i think that exactly that i think in terms of those uh, you know conversations you have maybe early on to try and sort of validate your thinking i think yeah get out there the chances of you coming across someone who has the combination of motivation of uh, resources and has is able to Progress their thinking faster than you are, I think, is t- is a tiny risk. Um, so I don't think that that's a problem. And I also thing that you can find out a huge amount without giving away what your idea is. You know, the, we we found this new route not because we were talking about the idea too much, but because we're trying to find out people's problems. We're trying to understand the problem space, not what the solution is. And by asking the right questions and and probing that. Space. We never told them what we were. The original concept was um, a few of them. A few of them knew, but uh, not not all, by no means all of them. Um, and uh, we found out some fantastic new information that completely changed our thinking. Um, and so, and that didn't give anything away. And you know, it's very unlikely that those sort of end user type interviews are going to give it gives you fantastic information. But it's unlikely they're going to take any of your ideas. Um, so yeah, I think that's an understandable worry, but not not one I've ever seen be be a major problem. I think perhaps more for like big corporates where the resources and the you know can be found by other people to to challenge you. But in this sort of startup space, I, I don't see um, see that happening.
1: I don't know. It's just this thing of like you know Amazon accelerators and and whatnot, and you go there for a few weeks and give away all your <laughs> your ideas, and you're like, okay, if anyone's going to do something and has the capability to do it, it's probably them, so they're going to yeah. run with it. But anyway, um, yeah, back to you, uh, Phil. Okay, cool.
0: Uh, so uh, the next the next one I wanted to talk about was about embracing failure. I think this is a difficult one to get for people to get their head around, which I completely understand. Especially, I think doctors and healthcare where failures to be avoided at all costs, you know, and understandably. But if we think about failure in the right way in an innovation context, it's a really, really powerful thing. Um, we, you, it's almost like a, a driving force. If you use it in the right way, it's not something that stops you. It's actually something that's going to keep you pushing on possibly faster and, and actually get to the, uh, get to a successful point much, much quicker and you put, you know, with much more sort of, uh, much more chance of success. So um, so yeah, if you can get that mindset right and avoid that sort of perfectionism and, and that kind of thing, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a massive benefit to you. Um, and the reason why we need to sort of embrace failure in a sense is because innovation is complex. It's a complex environment and in, and and that's largely because it's uh, an environment where people are working. Like there's, People are difficult to understand. You can't just sit down and read a load of books and understand what your users are going to do. They're going to be unique. Uh, How they react to what you do is not predictable. So in that complex type of system, we have only one way really of solving that, and that's to try something, observe the result and respond to it. And so that inevitably leads to some level of failure. You can't try something, observe and respond without there being something to have learned from. So a failure, something that's not gone right or not gone as maybe you perhaps thought it would. So, so by embracing that failure, we, um, we give ourselves permission to try it out, um, basically. So, um, if we, so by considering that, that failure as learning experience, um, you can get a huge amount from it. But obviously we don't want to just learn too late you know if you if we if we launch and then learn and try and, and then fail and, and learn it's too late you you've burnt all your resources <laughs> it's, uh, it's not going you, it, it's um, you, you're not gonna, you're not going to progress any further so we need to learn differently The way we do about do that is we try and do it early and we try and do it small so we, we I mean you, I think most people have already heard the phrase fail fast it, Yes, but I think the point is you do, it, you do it as early as possible and you do it as small as possible. Because by doing it small, you can, you, it's easy to learn. It also doesn't really have any major impact on, uh, you know, on your resources, on your time. You haven't, you haven't sunk too much into it. And the earlier you do it, the more impact it has on your trajectory. You know, the, the journey you're on is, is dictated by what you learn. And the, the earlier you learn that, the quicker you're on the right path. So there's got to be a number of ways of trying to sort of try things out and learn bef- without having to sort of build everything and then just you know fall flat on your face. So um, the way you know the way we tend to, to do that primarily are, are things like uh, like prototypes. You know, and, and there's so many different ways you can do that. And I think if you can sort of make use of prototypes in all their forms, you can learn really, really, really quickly. So, for example, we start off with just sketching. We sketch, or if it's more of a service thing, we role play. Um, and that way, you you can learn. You can go through ten iterations in a day, and you've learned huge amounts about what you're doing. Um, and then those learnings can get rolled into the next level of fidelity of your prototype. You know, you can start then building wireframes, mockups, you know, proof of concepts. They just sort of progress, and as you learn things, you. Um, you build that in and it it it, it um, refines itself in that process and it's a very cheap way of doing it you know so you can be quick it's it's uh, inexpensive um, but the key to that is is testing now you're not going to learn anything by testing it on yourself you can do as many wireframes and mockups for yourself as you like but you're not going to learn anything this is where you bring in bring in real users um, and you, you, so you, you, you. Every time you you create a sketch, you create a, a wireframe. Put that in front of somebody who might one day use it, and see how they react, and learn from that, and then build that into the next one, and then test it again. And, that, and, and in that process, you can really see what real world, how that will affect the real world. Um, and is, you know, and so you can see like a, a wireframe that doesn't quite the user can't quite understand. Isn't really that big a deal in, the, in an innovation journey, but if there had been a coded solution, that could have been weeks and months of work down the drain. So it's really, it's really quite a powerful way of going forwards. Um, and one thing that I'm we're starting to sort of uh, explore more and use more are things like no-code tools as well. Like how you can test huge amounts in reality, actually in the field, as it were, um, almost working as it as you want it using no-code tools. And um, we particularly love using those to. To try things out, and um, it, uh, and it may not have the I don't know the look and feel that you really want, or there might be some technical constraints. But if that's just proving um, uh, proving your 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 concept, if it's if it's teaching you things, then it has a huge amount of value there. Um, so yeah, you know, we use we use this in a project, um, a, a med tech product. Uh, um, a little while ago, where it was a really complex product. It had lots of users, so we had, we had nurses, doctors, administrators, patients—all needed to be able to use this platform. Um, so, as you can imagine, it is it, uh, that that has its own complexity. On top of that, there was um, <clears throat> it was the front face of what was a very complex algorithm that was being developed by um, academic researchers uh, to help with. Um, uh, with um, personalised dosing recommendations, and so um, we really need to make sure that you know things that like the nurses were able to put in data really accurately. That was that was vital. Doctors could understand what they were being told by this complex algorithm. Patients understood what the doctor was telling them as well. So that data had to be sort of understandable by both sort of, of the, the the expert, but also the patient as well. And also that could be administrated by um, by the sort of non-clinical staff so that data was kept secure and, um, and they could manage that system. So a lot going on there. And we did that by starting up, as i said earlier, oh, you know, we started with sketching, put some sketches, we put it in front of doctors around the world. So we were putting this in front of people in America, in Australia, uh, in the UK. Um, and then we progress that onto more high fidelity things like um, we even use slides actually Google slides we found are, can be a fantastic way of just quickly putting a, a mock up together putting it in front of someone and you can almost um, uh, fake some interaction there that is quite telling and the way people interact with it is is really useful um, and then and, and it wasn't only when those were right that we committed it to code and that process really helps to understand how that really complex data. And lots of different scenarios would work in in that coded environment, and meant that it, we that that process was much smoother, and we were um, sort of uh, put much less uh, effort into um, into the development of that product. Um, so yeah, so I think uh, if 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 you can embrace that failure point, I think it's really a um, Really helps with yeah, drive you forwards because you're learn that learning is is to mean you're taking steps that you wouldn't you wouldn't have otherwise been able
1: to. Yeah, no, thanks, Phil. This is really helpful. So I think in a nutshell, it's startups are experiments at the end of the day. It's a yeah. science experiment, a business experiment, and expect to fail, and that's not a bad thing. And again, those who are experienced in the entrepreneurial world, they'll know that already, but coming into the health sector, be ready for more failure than you probably were used to. That's what I would say.